0: you're listening to the hockey podcast network new shows every day find us at the hockey podcast or wherever you get your podcasts from
1: to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Floor. joining me as always on another beautiful Wednesday night, editor in chief of San Jose Hockey Now and my co-host, Shang Peng. Shang, how you doing?
2: Pretty good. Uh, we are in the process of moving and so it's been pretty uh, chaotic here. Uh, Mushu is very unnerved. Uh, we just took off a whiteboard from the wall and, uh, leaving little black Velcro strips, uh, that she thought were roaches. And so she's been looking at the Velcro, Velcro strips for the last 15 minutes.
1: <laughs> she's like, if it moves, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's it. dead. <laughs> 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 That's great to hear. Hope the move goes well. I just recently went through one a couple months ago and, uh, definitely isn't the funnest thing but it is necessary so best of luck if you need Thank some you. if you need some muscle help you can always call me down i'm just <laughs> i'm just a little Appreciate drive that. away Thanks. so <laughs> uh before we hop into this episode uh let's give a quick shout out obviously to our social media handles you can follow the podcast at sjhockeynowpod you can follow the network at hockeypodnet and you can follow myself at Shank.
2: You can follow me at shang underscore peng and all my work at San Jose Hockey Now.
1: All right, folks, we got a doozy lined up for you. It'll be sweet and simple, but it will be chock full of content. On this week's episode, we're going to discuss current updates in regards to the Sharks uh, COVID outbreak. We also talk about a little bit about Merkley, Ryan Merkley, not Nick Merkley, uh, Santeri Hataka, And, you know, why Shang isn't sure that they belong in the NHL yet. You know, we we saw some flashes there, but we're going to go over that. We also touch on the William Eklund ELC uh, timeline and discuss whether the Sharks should keep him on the roster for the remainder of the season. Afterwards, we talk about how the Sharks' defense has improved compared to last season. And then later on in the show, Dan Rusinowski and Shang decide to share some stories about their experience navigating through the chaos of the COVID outbreak during last Saturday's game against Winnipeg. So, uh, again, before we hop into it, I'm going to do a really quick time check for you all. It's 11.05 p.m., November 3rd. It's Wednesday night. We're going to be giving the most current up-to-date news involving the Sharks' uh, COVID outbreak. Who's in? Who's out? Who's hot? Who's not? Uh, Shang, I'll let you just take that away right now. What's the sitch?
2: Well, uh, yesterday, as we know, uh, Timo Meyer got added. Uh, The Sharks did not practice uh, today, so we don't know if anybody else got added. Uh, Sharks Mm -hmm. spokesperson told me that, well, uh, if there's a big change, we'll let you know. And so uh, as of 11 p.m. tonight, I guess there was no big change, which is good news, I guess. That means that they didn't add, I don't know, three more players to the COVID protocol. Hopefully tomorrow we find out that nobody's been added and actually that people are coming off, which is possible. Um, once you test positive, if you're asymptomatic, you can test out a protocol with two negative tests. That's what Andrew Cogliano and Jonathan Dolan did. And so possibly we can see Kevin LeBan come back, maybe uh, somebody like that. I don't know. I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, uh, cluing or hinting at anything. Um, you know, I had good knowledge on Dolan, uh, being asymptomatic and he came out, uh, but, uh, nobody else. And so
1: we will see. All right, here's to hoping the best. I mean, we haven't been disappointed by the Barracuda call-ups. It, you know, just actually pleasantly surprised more than anything at their readiness to step into those roles. Um, so Sharks currently riding that two-game win streak off the back of the Sharkacuda or, uh, you know, so many different chants have been set in the, uh, the Shark Tank there. But a couple of players that, that were called up to fill in some shoes that were, I mean, obviously way too big, but Ryan Merkley and, uh, Santeri Hataka or Hataka, excuse me. I'm going to continue to mess that up for the rest of the podcast. Forgive me now. Cause I'm going to, I know I'm going to mess it up. So please. <laughs> um, but Shane, we, we wanted to talk about them and the biggest thing they're not ready for the NHL yet. A- as much as Ryan Merkley may have done well, offensively in the game against Buffalo, we still believe at the end of the season, Buffalo is not going to be that great of a team, and um, y- you have to take things with a grain of salt, obviously. So let's talk about Merkley first. What did you see from him?
2: Uh, with Ryan, actually, I have to say that he was uh, decent defensively against Buffalo, and that's always going to be the big question with mm-hmm. uh, Ryan Merkley. Uh, he's not likely to be able to outscore his defensive problems, unless he's like a point-of-game guy that maybe he can, but... That's just unlikely because there are very few you know, point point-per-game defensemen out there, right? Which he was
1: doing in the AHL. He was at four points in four games. Yeah, for he the was. CUDA he did get off a great out.
2: start uh, this year. Uh, yeah. So credit to him for that. Um, and so did see a little, uh, little progress, a little improvement. Uh, he had a nice play one-on-one against uh, Dylan Cousins uh, in the corner there. Uh, took the puck away from him one-on-one. Spoke with a couple of scouts about Merkley's play. Uh, they said, yeah, they actually liked him against Buffalo, which is uh, if you've listened to some of the things I've said and, ri- and read some of the things that I've written over the last year or so, that might be the first positive thing that I've heard uh, from a scout <laughs> about uh, Ryan Merkley. Um, I've noted
1: the date, Shang. First positive <laughs> thing, November 3rd.
2: People have not been fond, to say the least, about his uh, his defense uh, in uh, with uh, in the AHL. And I think that the first couple of games in the NHL, uh, we did see some question marks with it. So it's not like uh, these problems are resolved by any stretch. Uh, the one one scout said, "Yeah, you know, he did a nice job against Buffalo, but I'm curious." what he does against a much bigger, stronger team, like say the St. Louis blues who are coming in tomorrow. So that yeah. might be a, a, a better a test. Also with Merkley too, you see how much they protected him. If you look at his defensive zone face-offs, uh, very, very few of them. Uh, and that makes sense for him, obviously, because he's more offensively oriented, but it's also showing that there isn't quite the trust factor there with him. Yeah. And there shouldn't be, of course, because he's young, but, the Sharks down to Burns and Ferraro as our only veteran kind of reliable defenseman who was third in minutes. It was Jacob Magno who played, I believe 24 or so minutes uh, uh, against Buffalo. And so I think that these are some questions that we still need answered about Merkley, but to his credit though, in these couple of games, he did show the offensive upside that indeed is NHL caliber and without question uh, and, That's something that, you know, at the very least you see that that he can be a specialist at the NHL level, that that seems very, very uh, uh, possible for him. And Mm -hmm. I'll say that I wasn't quite sure of even that this summer because I didn't know if the offense was going to translate and the defense might be that bad. Uh, but the offense definitely was good enough in these two games, and the defense was, uh, well, it was rough in some places, but it was okay in other places.
1: It was nice to see his confidence after that uh, dying quail is what I referred to it as that made it into the back of the net um, you know, for his first NHL goal. It was good to see that confidence kind of spark, and you would see some more sure-handed stick handling from him in the offensive zone, but I, I, I do... Um, I do see what you're saying when you say that they kept him out of the defensive zone, um, similar to what they're doing with William Eklund. You know, they're, they're really protecting him and, and trying to shore up, especially with Merkley, since this is going to be a short-term thing, you know, from from what we believe, try to keep it to where he's you're playing to his strengths, specifically right. to his strengths. Minimize uh, any errors. And as far as Jacob Megna goes, just as an honorable mention here really quick, I think he played very sound defensively and it was smart of uh general manager doug wilson to bring megna up who has been Merkley's exclusive defensive partner down in the barracuda very smart familiarity there just a just a good little macro game there from from doug I, I did like that move so next person we wanted to talk about was uh santeri hotica haha <laughs> <laughs> i gotta write that time ah <laughs> great skater uh I believe uh, Bucci talked about it on the ESPN Plus broadcast against Buffalo. His, his skating is there. He's definitely got the legs. But you noticed uh, a couple of other things, Shang, which kind of allude to he's not quite ready for the NHL yet.
2: Yeah, and also, too, along with his skating, his size is there. Uh, we saw that uh, when he took on uh, Nikolai Ehlers, right, impressively one-on-one with his skating, but also his size, too, able to body off. Ehlers isn't the biggest NHLer, but Ehlers is an NHLer and an older, more developed player. And mm-hmm. Hadaka did very nicely against him. But uh, when I watch Hadaka, though, uh, I wonder about his puck moving, you know, making that first pass and connecting there Uh Looks like, uh, to some degree, a challenge for him, at least as of now. And that is something that's very, very easy to iron out. It's easier for Hadaka to learn that than it is, say, for Ryan Merkley to learn to play very good defense. Um, So I have no doubts that Hadaka will uh, iron that out eventually. um, But I'm not sure if it's going to be within the next month or so. And, of course, Hadaka did suffer an injury yesterday, too. So his status is up in question in that regard also but uh if he does if he's indeed healthy and able to to play on uh i don't take it um you know i don't i don't take it for granted that he's just going to be put into the lineup you know um as questionable as a uh, redeemed and mark edward vlasic have been in some ways and as expensive as they've been too uh, they still both do actually a lot of things quite well and they do make smarter decisions and they do make that first pass better still i think than a hadaka, even if the physical part of it uh, I, I mean the physical attributes that shimik and vlasic have aren't quite what uh, hadaka has you know we know hadaka is the future of uh, yes. The Sharks defense One of the key mm-hmm. key pieces We can tell It's, it's obvious um, But right now To win games uh, I think there's a good chance That Shemek and Vlasic Are uh, Help you win games more now And you know We're going to get to this A little bit later uh, About uh, Some of the team defense And how strong overall The team defense has been Not just the defensemen But the overall team Defensive concept Forwards and defense Right? And just as a reminder, you know, Sharks have played nine games. Their team defense has been surprisingly good, and we'll get to that. Uh, and guess who played in seven of those nine games? Mark Edward Vlasic and Redeemed Shimmick. So they're not killing the Sharks, you know, by and large.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not coincidence. It's, the numbers are there. They match up. Um, next on our list here, you know, what we wanted to talk about, everyone's favorite topic your favorite topic I know for a fact William Eklund um and and this is important because prior to starting the season we said he was going to get a hat trick against the Buffalo Sabres unfortunately that didn't happen um, that was his chance yeah <laughs> this he event. had a lot of really good chances I loved him on that line with Couture and Dolan with the confidence that Dolan is playing with and how happy couture is i mean you can see it in the post game he's a happy dude right now because he's just being surrounded by young talent and he's a it's allowing him to play his game oh god eklund had just a couple i could go on but i'm not going to talk about that so we're coming up on eklund's ninth game and what you're thinking all the listeners wait nick they're six and three going to face st louis blues it's already been nine games no he's he got scratched against boston the game doesn't count so going into this Game 10 of the season against St. Louis, an eighth of the way through the season, as I said, Shane. This will be Eklund's ninth game. After this, you're burning a year of the ELC. What's the vibe? Is he staying? Is he going? What do you think?
2: Well, I know that uh, Eklund's camp believes that he's earned it, and I agree with them. Um, I think that William Eklund has been one of the nine best forwards on the Sharks so far. And admittedly, this is a team that, doesn't have great forward depth you know i don't think that William Eklund has been amazing uh so far in in these first eight games uh i think he's been more good than great um i think there's still a lot of uh things that he needs to work on in terms of just in the neutral zone and navigating through it um you know not letting the 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 speed of the nhl uh, get to him in terms of just uh uh losing the puck in places where he doesn't want to and where places where he shouldn't, you know, very dangerous places. But still, by and large, though, I've liked what I've seen from him. Uh, I've liked his play all over the ice, and I do think that he's been, like I said, he's been a a top nine forward. And so the Sharks say they're trying to win now. So if they are trying to win now, then there really isn't a question uh, of whether or not William Eklund should be with the Sharks past game nine.
1: That's a yes for those keeping track at home, and that's Shang trying to cash in on his lukewarm, bold prediction he gave. A, another little callback to one of our episodes a couple weeks ago.
2: Well, statistically, uh, I haven't been wrong so far, right? Like, what is it ooh. at uh, eight games, four assists? That that's uh, about forty points. That's about where I had I had him about thirty-ish. So yeah,
1: <laughs> cashing
2: in, man. Going to Reno. I think that's
1: closer than Vegas for us. So well, it is for me for sure up here in Northern California.
2: But. I didn't I didn't put any money on uh, William for the call. Holder, and I'm feeling uh, good about that so far. So,
1: yeah, I think uh, Cole Sillinger's going absolutely AWOL for Columbus right now. Well, he yeah, had the Detroit kids too. So, yes, Seder or cider, apple cider, whatever his name is. I'm kidding, obviously. Moritz, it's, it's Moritz. <laughs> uh, no, they're doing amazing. Uh, Dolan, though, Dolan's in the hunt still. Dolan's in
2: the hunt too. Yeah, Dolan is, uh, I believe, tied for the the lead uh, the the lead uh, in rookie goals so far. And yeah, just to give credit to Jonathan, uh, just just quickly, uh, you know, based on the preseason, uh, William was great in the preseason. I yes. uh, he was outstanding in the preseason, and I thought that he was ahead of Dolan, But you know, shows you the difference between exhibition and you know the regular season, the real NHL.
1: And uh, Dolan has kind of ticked ahead there for sure. Yeah, and as much as we don't talk about him because we're talking about William Eklund, because we're talking about other things like a tip of the hat to him, much like you said, because he has just filled the role that was left wide open by Evander Kane. That's a $7 million hole on that top line. He's slotted right in there and he's improved line chemistry. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'll be honest. If you if you had told me that, uh, by mid season, uh, uh, Jonathan was going to go back to Sweden because things didn't work out with the sharks and, you know, he wanted to go somewhere uh, comfortable and where he could score a lot uh, uh, back with Timra, with I would have said, yeah, that I, I could see that uh, going that way. So again, yeah, kudos to him for kind of cementing his place on the top line and, you know, not just scoring some goals, but consistently piling on to chances. And I think that to me is more promising than just a few goals here and there, but just the fact that he's been able to get quality grade A chances almost
1: every game. And, you know, the stats prove it, honestly. <laughs> um, so we're going to transition over out of offense here into team defense. The biggest question mark other than goaltending going into the season was if the guys in front of the goaltending are going to be actually, be able to actually play defense. When we spoke to Mike McKenna a few weeks ago, we talked about the transition from uh, the goaltending room. It's a full overhaul, complete overhaul new cylinder heads we got new gaskets we got new spark plugs the the entire overhaul in the goaltending room has also been followed up by significantly better team defense and shang we have the stats to prove it
2: right and i wrote about it a little bit today in my article uh, that suggested that i thought the sharks would make the playoffs if they were able to keep this team defense up. And I didn't, wasn't saying that just for a sensational headline. Uh, the Sharks have been a top 10 defensive team at 5-on-5 five five this year. Not just the goaltending, the actual team defense. Yes. And if you've been following the Sharks team defense as closely as I've been for the last three years, that should make you faint. Uh, because the last couple of years especially, the team def- defense we saw was bottom 10 easily. And so for for it to be top 10 right now in a number of key categories um, is, you know, if, the, if they can keep it up and stay as a top 10 defensive team. Again, this is immaterial of the goaltending. But basically, mm-hmm. if the team defense is strong, you're going to put the goaltending in a good place to make saves. And so far, for the most part... James Reimer and Aiden Hill have done that. If they've seen the puck, they've made the stop. And so if the Sharks can keep this up, and they are actually an honest a good defensive team, I do believe they're making the playoffs. I think that they have enough scoring, they have just enough goaltending, that they're not going to be a top team uh, getting in there, but they will make it. Uh, Of course, though, we're only nine games in. The sample size is small. So I don't want to say that this is a... Uh, a done topic, that the Sharks are good. They're a good defensive team. They're making the playoffs. So Mm -hmm. we're still far, far away from that. You know, Uh, talk to me about this uh, 30 games from now, mid-season, and after I've watched it a little more closely. But, okay, so I mentioned some of the stats that they've been... Strong at key areas in defense, uh, sport logic stats, uh, key areas in defense that they've been very strong at uh, this season. And I also have them from last year, too. So just just to illustrate to you uh, what's uh, going on defensively. Okay, so right now the Sharks are fourth in the league in slot shots against Okay, so that's the area, of course, in the middle of ice where teams want to shoot from. Dangerous scoring area, right? So the Sharks have allowed the fourth least in this department. So last year, by the end of last year, the Sharks were 26th in the league in that. Okay, huge, huge improvement. Okay, yeah, so let's get a little more to top five, right there. Yeah, right. Yeah, bottom five to top five. So let's get a little more inside. So right in front of the goalie. So the precise area where teams are really trying to get get shots from. I think uh, about half of the goals are from this area. Okay, so the Sharks are right now their fourth in inner slot shots against. So fourth. Uh, in that area so the least uh, the least amount of shots given up there uh, last year in that area inner slot shots against even strength they were 21st in the league Whew. so not quite bottom five but uh, still pretty bad uh, definitely a uh, bottom, uh, bottom half of the league <laughs> bottom 10 right right so so yeah for them to 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 be a uh, fourth best in the league right now that is that's a test uh, that's a testament to what what they're doing overall um, okay, so rush chances right now the sharks are the sixth best team in the league in rush chances against and last year, they were eighteenth. so again, another impressive improvement so far. Yeah, and again, we're only nine games in, so uh, nice so we're five. not quite there yet. But uh, so okay, and next uh, next one we've got uh, the Sharks are tenth in the league in rebound chances against, and last year they were twenty first in the league.
1: Whew.
2: Yep, so another yeah, another big jump there.
1: They're jumping thirty. 30- plus percent every single time. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's just crazy.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I get a daily report from Sport Logic, and, you know, I'm not going to read every stat off to you, but uh, basically the Sharks defensively are strong in, uh, you know, uh, let's see, they're basically they're top 10, top 11 in, what I, what? I how many numbers do I get here? How many categories? 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. So... 11 of the 14 categories and so the only real weakness they have in terms of the category is um they're giving up more forecheck chances uh more chances off the forecheck than than they they maybe want but um but besides that all the other key areas specific uh micro areas they're doing quite well and let's just uh uh, rattle off a couple more just to further illustrate the the point Mm -hmm. um So another area that the Sharks have been strong at is slot passes against. And so basically, uh, uh, they're preventing a high number of passes into the slot, which makes sense because they're not giving up a lot of shots in the slot either. And, you know, these passes are coming in because the teams, the opposition wants to get... They want to get uh, uh, passes into that dangerous area. The Sharks are 11th in the league in this category. 11th best team in the league in slot passes against, even strength. Last year, they were 27th. So 27th, so another big uh, big jump. And uh, one more stat, and uh, Nick, you'll like this one because uh, you cited it as the Sport Logic stat of the week last week. And it was a possession time. And last week you are talking about, of course, possession time for the Sharks. So that's a little bit different. Uh, Here I'm talking about possession time for the opposition. For the opposition. And so the Sharks this year are second in the league in offensive zone possession time against uh 538 a game even strength. And basically what this means is that they are killing plays and not allowing the opposition time in the zone. This is a good thing. Yes. And <laughs> the Sharks last year they were 29th in the league. Ooh. In the opp opposi- yeah in, three. Yeah, that's a huge, right? In uh in uh in OZ possession time against so that suggests that the Sharks were having a lot more trouble last year killing plays and, you know, getting it out of the zone. And mm-hmm. so, anyway, uh, those uh, six stats I think I mentioned are, I think, a yeah. very clear example of of why the, the, the Sharks have been, you know, not only have they got good goaltending, but why have they received this good goaltending? Because they're playing better in front of their goaltender. That's a big, big yeah. part of it. Um, and... If this is indeed sustainable, which we do not know, but if it is, then the Sharks are, and I can't believe, I can barely say it myself, but if, the, <laughs> if these stats are indeed, uh, indeed hold, the
1: Sharks are a good team. <laughs> and just really quick to quantify that possession time stat and how important of a drop-off or how big of a drop-off it is going from 29th uh, to 2nd best. Right now, the league worst is at seven minutes of forty seven minutes and forty two seconds of uh, possession time in their own zone, whereas you said they were at five minutes and thirty eight seconds. That's a two minute swing.
2: Yep, yep. The Sharks were at I think six twenty two against last year, yeah. so about a, a more than a minute difference last year, at yeah, even strength.
1: That is a huge difference. An entire minute of trying to defend in front of your goaltender is not going to not going to work out too well for you if you're not being able to get out of the zone. So, again, continued improvements against small sample size alert. Sound the yep. horn. Sound the horn. Got to got to
2: watch watch for that. But.
1: <laughs> Find the largest grain of salt in your house and take it with these stats because we're only 9 games in. So, when you're listening to this, we'll be either 10 games in or pretty much getting to 10 games in because they're going to be playing the blues. So, I'm interested to see what the uh, the stats look like after the game against the Blues, which is a team that is sure. very, very good off the rush, um, first in the league actually at rush chances. Whereas that's where the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Sharks excel. So it's going to be a battle of who can stop who essentially. Yep. But yeah, team defense. Gotta hand who, it to who would have thunk it with the Sharks, with, yeah. <laughs> with a team with thunk? Eric Carlson and Brent Burns <laughs> and Ryan <No>. Merkley. <laughs> yeah, because. The- <laughs> In what? Didn't the first game the the slot shots was only like six for Winnipeg for the entire game? I believe was your right. Was your and
2: stat. Uh, you know the last two games with two thirds of the Shark defense in COVID protocol, uh, the Sharks have allowed ten slot shots on net, all situations in this case, and they've had thirty on their
1: own. So wow. go figure. Last year that have been ten slot shots in the first two periods so <laughs> i don't even think that's a stretch either i think that's actually what would happen but all right good defensive team great young players stepping into roles that in previous years younger guys could not do you know no offense to you know, i'm not pointing shade i'm not throwing shade at guys uh was he, who's your favorite callback? Daniel, you're Tykin. <laughs> that, that's I'm sort not of been
2: associated with my name, but I probably yeah. should uh change it up. you know, I have nothing personal against him, so <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm not throwing shade at John Leonard. I'm not throwing shade at um, you know Joachim Blickfeld, any of the guys that stepped up into roles that maybe they weren't quite ready for P- players develop at their own rate. You know any of these guys can become great NHL players or at least good NHL players at any point in their career. Yeah, the statistics say yes, no, or the other. But the sharks are getting a great play, or at least good play, average play from young guys stepping into roles. It's big for the organization. It's big, big for the Roy Sommer and and, and the farm team down there showing what they can put out. So mm-hmm. you had a uh, you had an interesting little stat here. We're we're getting into the sport logic stat of the week, and.
2: Yeah, we'll close off with this before we get to our interview with Dan.
1: Yes, yes, of course. That's what everyone's actually waiting for. Can you please shut up? I'm trying to hear Dan and his beautiful voice talk to me about how crazy Saturday was. But um, our Sport Logic stat of the week isn't something that you're going to find a bunch of different metrics on. It's a simple stat that speaks volumes. Something that you pointed out, something we've agreed on. Okay, this is something we obviously need to talk about. And It's shot attempts. That's it. It's pretty simple. Shot attempts for Timo Meyer through eight games. And I say eight games because he missed one game due to the current COVID crisis or COVID protocol that the Sharks are going through right now. So Timo Meyer is sitting at 67 shot attempts through eight games. You need context, right? So Burns, Brent Burns, shoot it all the time, Brent, is sitting at 68 shot attempts. Through nine games, he was at sixty-two shot against at the uh, eight games where Meyer was at sixty-seven. So, Timo Meyer is backpacking the hell out of this team. It feels like at times his 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 metrics are off the charts right now. And you actually uh, alluded to that, I believe, in an article you wrote on San Jose Hockey Now, Shane. right, yep, Timo uh, Meyer is... Sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was uh, just gonna say, yeah, uh, before the Buffalo game. Um, I looked at some of the numbers that Timo has been putting up, uh, counting stats, underlying stats. And I saw a guy, and it fits with what I've seen on the ice too, I saw a guy who has been the team MVP so far. And so I still think that, but it is doubly impressive that the Sharks were able to carry on what they did against Buffalo uh, without the guy that I think has been their team MVP.
1: Yeah. And I think that just kind of reinforces the the fact we made or, or or the point we made earlier of you know guys stepping up and playing those roles in mm-hmm. team defense really helping put this team above where they were last season. But we wanted to provide even further context as to why the Brent Burns shot count and the Timo Meyer shot count are so important. So you pulled up some stats for us from 2015 to 2018. The shot attempt leaders. During that time frame, you did the work. I'm going to let you tell all the listeners just how big of a gap and just how absolutely pulverizing Brent Burns was to opposing defenses.
2: Yeah, it, it really illustrates how much of the Sharks offense ran around centered around Brent Burns in a period of the era. And it's changed. Uh, even last year, it changed. But, okay, from 2015-18, and I picked this period up uh, because not only is it the Peter DeBoer era, but it's also before Eric Carlson, uh, so when Burns really was the center of the Sharks' defense in every single way imaginable. From 2015-18, uh, Brent Burns had 2,303 shot attempts. This is all situations. Okay, 2,303 shot attempts. That's a lot of shot attempts, but, okay, whatever. That's That's a big number, right? But just to give you some further context, though, second to Burns in that time period, and Nick guessed this was Ooh. predictably it was Joe Pavelski. But his number is not anywhere close to Burns's. Tell them uh, what I guessed.
1: <laughs>
2: well, I'll tell I'll tell them what he guessed after I say the <laughs> our, <Okay>. the actual <laughs> number. Uh, so from t- twenty fifteen to eighteen. Uh, again, uh, Burns had two thousand three hundred and three shot attempts. Joe Pavelski had one thousand one hundred ninety-five. So that's Burns almost, double. almost doubled you know, Pavelski's output. And Nick guessed about eighteen hundred, and so that's you know that's pretty far off there. And oh geez, way <laughs> to kill my confidence. <laughs> well, he guessed the right person, so that's that's good enough there. About five hundred, Chang. <laughs> But it, it it illustrates just the, how different the Sharks' offense is now. Um, last year, it was already happening. Last year, actually, Evander Kane and Timo Meyer had more shot attempts than Brent Burns, and you know Burns is not. Part of it is. I think is Burns getting a little older. but Part of it, too, is just uh, Brent's defensive responsibility has increased so much. And you can see in the stats, he doesn't get the offensive zone starts that he used to get, Mm -hmm. the offensive zone face-offs that he used to get. Uh, Eric Carlson is getting more of those these days. Uh, These days, Brent Burns is almost a stay-at-home defenseman. and They they use him in that way with Mario Ferraro, uh, the team's best line uh, defensive zone got to got to got to win a face off got to got to you know got got to win the battles in the defensive zone Uh, it's going to be Burns and Ferraro sent over the boards. And so it's not giving uh, Burns as much of a chance to just fire away, but it's also, too, I think philosophical, too, where they want a little more offense from other places. Uh, But it also, too, finally illustrates how good a season that Meyer has been having, that he has indeed been the focal point of this offense. But not only is he producing, but the team is winning, too, which you couldn't quite say, obviously, for Van Kane last year. He was productive obviously, but the team didn't win and not to put that all on him obviously. But in this case with, with Timo Meyer, uh there's no qualms about sort of how well he's performed because he's done it individually and a team
1: has been with him every step of the way. Yeah, and and something you can't really quantify is Timo Meyer's back checking. <laughs> like this guy is what did Dan Boyle say when we talked to him? When he was talking to um <clears throat> excuse me the uh, head coach during uh, his time with the Tampa Bay Lightning, I believe that was John Tortorella, he was talking to him about, hey, I'll be the first one down there, but I'm also going to be the first one back. That's how Timo Meyer has been playing this season so far for the Sharks. He's been explosive down, creating chances, just a killer on the forecheck, a monster in front of the goal, as well as... The second things get turned around and they start going south, back towards the defensive zone, he's first guy back for the forwards. He's the deepest man in and he's the first man back. And this is just something I've seen, something people might notice a little bit more often. But he just flies by people. He's he's crazy. I love it. We yeah. all love it. Yeah, no, he's certainly lived up to
2: his potential that uh, we saw the last couple of years. And that's why I, I didn't think the Sharks should, should trade him. Uh, this off season, uh, just because the potential was there, and if you do trade him, you're not getting full value for that potential. You're trading him at a discount. Exactly. Now, once again, like with the team defense, we are talking small sample size. It's just been eight games with Timo, but because of Timo's age. You know, young a young guy, and also too because of his obvious, the talent is obviously there with him. Uh, mm-hmm. We only saw it in flashes the last couple of years, but the talent is obviously there. And so, if the mental game is there and it's you know all pulling together, uh, that's a great player, and that's uh, you know. For me, if I was voting voting on, on the awards, uh, I, I voted on the NHL awards for the last uh, four years. Uh, again, only eight games, but Timo Meyer is going to figure highly for me at this rate. Uh, you know, be it uh, you know f- uh, first team, second team, you know third team NHL, just because he's been pulling the pulling the sharks. Um, another thing, area that I uh, pointed out uh, from Sport Logic that Timo's been great at. Uh, he's always the guy carrying the puck out of the zone uh, with with control controlled exits he leads the sharks controlled entry so entering the zone with possession when the sharks aren't dumping it in uh it's timo doing that most of the time and yeah like you mentioned nick on the four check too he's terrific on there too so he's winning the puck off of the four check too i think he led the team in four check chances maybe not after uh the buffalo games he missed that but uh the first eight games of the season he was leading the team and so timo has just been um Really uh, in some ways a revelation In some ways what we've Expected from him What he showed he could do from time to time And so hopefully uh, He's not in protocol very long Hopefully he's healthy and all the other Sharks players you know, Who are symptomatic uh, Are not seriously so And are in and out of protocol uh, But hopefully for Timo In particular though he can continue this sort of uh, Statement season That he's having um, And you know, we looked at 2018-19 when he scored 30 goals as sort of a breakout season. And I feel like he's doing that, but another level of that. And hopefully uh, we, we can uh, we can see him continue it because he's been a pleasure to watch this season.
1: Yeah, and, and that's coming from Shang, folks. That's not even coming from me the 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 biased guy in this relationship here the Sharks fan <laughs> on this podcast
2: so just- i am very uh yeah if i can uh, step in there uh, uh i'm definitely the paul hollywood of this uh of this uh podcast if any of you guys are uh great british bake off fans and so a <laughs> uh, compliment from me uh, is uh definitely uh a handshake for a me is, is 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 definitely not easily earned, <laughs> and Timo Meyer has definitely earned a a double a
1: double handshake from me so far this year. There we go, the the double handshake. I'd love <laughs> to see it. All righty, well that's gonna pretty much wrap up our Sharks talk for today's episode. Our Sharks talk, just you and I, Shane. But as to uh what we alluded to earlier, we do have. An amazing interview with Dan Ruzanowski just coming up right after we thank this week's sponsor, of course. And who else would it be except DraftKings Sportsbook? NFL fans, are you hungry for a big win this week? Well, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Don't worry though, Sportsbook is not available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty handed, because everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. Just download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And without further ado, here is our interview with Dan Rusinowski. Today's guest needs no elaborate introduction because his name is well-renowned amongst the San Jose Sharks fan base and community, but I'm going to do one anyway because I feel like it deserves it. He's been calling the Sharks games since they came into the NHL in 1991-1992. He was also inducted into the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame for sports in 2013, and he also became a published author in 2018 with the release of If These Walls Could Talk, San Jose Sharks, which he wrote co-wrote, excuse me, with reporter Rosh McKeon. We bring to you the voice of the San Jose Sharks, Dan Ruzanowski Dan, how's the day going so far?
0: Fantastic, Nick. Uh, nice to be with you. So Dan, uh, let's uh, set the,
2: I guess, the scene for one of the most singular days in Sharks history. And I'm going to tell you uh, my side. I'm curious about your side of things, my side as a reporter. So it's Saturday, and I get an email from the Sharks about 2 p.m. This is going to be a 4 p.m. game with the Jets, scheduled 4 p.m. Uh, my wife is dropping me off at SAP Center, and it's the weekend. So she's got the car, and she's going to take my dog Mushu for a hike. Anyway, the email says that there are some positive tests in the organization. I had no idea that anything was going on before that. Uh, so when did you find out, Dan?
0: I found out right about the same time you did, maybe about 10 minutes before when uh, I was informed that uh, there was an email going to be going out that was rather important. So we took a look at it and it popped up. And uh, we obviously thought that maybe something related to the COVID pandemic might be the reason why it was going out so quickly. And we wanted to find out what it was about. And of course, after that, uh, all of the emergency backups went into operation because You know, from our perspective, we really didn't know exactly how it was going to affect the game, whether we were going to have a game or uh, whether there were going to be other uh, types of uh, transactions that were required. And, you know, for me, the big thing was that uh, the Sharks have their top development affiliate in San Jose. So unlike the old days when the, the top team now, the San Jose Barracuda, were the Worcester Sharks playing in Massachusetts, Um, It gave the organization a lot more maneuverability in terms of making recalls to players that needed to be recalled so they could play. And of course, creating the dramatic situation that we had. But uh, um, that's, of course, uh, retold with a little bit of hindsight. At the time, we just really didn't know what was really going to happen or how many players or anything else until, uh, until we got a lot closer to game time.
2: Right, right, right. And for myself, the big change to my pregame routine is, you know, instead of talking to Bob Bugner two hours before the game in a press conference kind of table setup, uh, basically this year, uh, if you're not uh, familiar, uh, you know, we've had in person with the Sharks, uh, they sit at the table, uh, press conference table, we stand about six feet away, masked up. So instead of doing that, uh, we have to go to Zoom. And the first face that I see on Zoom uh, when I sign on a little bit past two is John McClain. So we know that Bob is in protocol if it's John McClain talking to us, or we can assume that. And John doesn't tell us much, uh, but he does tell us that Ryan Merkley, Nick Merkley, Malosh, Leonard, and Magna are all recalled, and they're all going to play. So you can already count. There's five players that are recalled, and they're going to play. So you get a sense of the number of Sharks in protocol. And my favorite part about the press conference, I don't know if John was joking, but he called them the Merkley brothers. And Nick and Ryan aren't brothers. Uh, It might be an inside joke, but personally, I like to think that all this happened so suddenly, the coaches didn't even know that the Merkleys weren't related. That's just funny to me.
0: Yeah. Anyway, it is. It is. It is funny, and you know, it's kind of. It reminds me of so many different stories over the course of, of my time here. Uh, Rather unique, obviously, Mm -hmm. because of the the pandemic and everything else. But, um, in in a way, it reminds me of what happened the night that the Sharks traded for Joe Thornton, Mm -hmm. back in the in November of two thousand five. And we can get into some of the details of that in a second, but. Uh, you know, we were hearing all of that. And, and by this time, we were pretty aware, obviously, that Bob Bugner was one of the people that was going to go into protocol. But right. I was in the middle of something else, too, pregame. And it was a little bit unique. And that was, now, I was assisting a, a, a combination of Jesus Charate and Amaury P. Gonzalez oh, that's to right. put uh-huh. together yep. the Spanish language broadcast. And so not only was I worried about, about what was happening to our show, but I was also helping them out with their show. And at that time, believe it or not, we were having some connection situations with the computer. So I was helping out with that in the middle of all this, hoping that I didn't have to give them my computer to make it work, because that would have taken away a lot of my content for the game. So um, all of that was swirling through my mind at the time. And of course, uh, that these are the things that happen all the time away from the broadcast that that occur. You know, the old uh, scene from broadcast news where Holly Hunter is rushing across the the entire newsroom and pushing people over to get through to put the <laughs> videotape in and hit play just in time to have the national network throw to her feature that she had just finished seconds before. That's the kind of thing that that happens in broadcasting and obviously in print journalism all the time. So uh, it's interesting to see how it all transpired. But, but yes, uh, no, the Merkley brothers are not related a, at all. And in fact, I don't even know if they knew each other before they became organizational teammates. But uh, you know Nick is from from the western part of of canada and and Ryan is from Ontario, so uh, you know they could be related, but they aren't. They spell the name the same way and so forth. So I found that to be another interesting part of of the day's events
1: so you have a a pretty famous segment pre games called Coache's chalkboard, where you you know you get to talk with Bob Bugner and go over the upcoming game and how things are going. Were you able to do that with John prior to this game starting, or was it just a madhouse?
0: Well, no, it was kind of a madhouse because all of this didn't happen until minutes before that news conference that you you talked about. So, um, you know, I was expecting perhaps to talk to John after, you know, his little session with the media ended, which does happen sometimes. Occasionally I get to, a chance to talk to the coaches just before uh, they go into that main session, but uh, either way it, it works out fine for me. But – in that situation, uh, I, I basically jumped on, actually on the call at the end, and I said, hey, guys, don't forget about me. And I got a, a note back from, uh, from the media relations saying, hey, listen, do you mind if we bag it tonight? Because we've got a whole bunch of other things going on here. Well, fortunately, I had already had some stuff that, that Bob had, had talked about in practice yesterday. So I cobbled it together and turned uh, it into a very short coach's chalkboard with a couple of appropriate comments that were no longer dated that were still applicable to the game that Bob had already made. So I was able to uh, to put it together that night. And those are the things that happen every once in a while.
2: Yep, yep. At least they didn't uh, forget about you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so John McClain, uh, he doesn't tell us who's in COVID protocol. And the Sharks aren't telling the reporters either. And it's about 2.15 p.m. The game is still scheduled for 4 p.m. Like you said, Dan, we don't actually know if the game is going on, but you know we assume so because they've made the recalls. And the players are obviously in San Jose. They, the Barracuda just played the night before at SAP Center. And so I'm trying to figure out as a reporter, well, who's, who's in protocol? You know, if the Sharks aren't telling us, it's my job to try to figure it out. I start talking to the scouts around me and, you know, we sit in a press box area with the scouts and I see, I ask them if they've got the lines, because if they've got the lines for the game, then I can deduce from there, right? Who's not on there to figure out who's in protocol. If I see uh, Jacob Megna and Ryan Merkley as the shark, second pairing, then I can guess, Oh, Eric Carlson and Jake Middleton are not, are not around anyway. So, the Sharks, us- I'm sorry, the, the Scouts usually get the lines before warm-ups, sometimes, if they want it. They can get it from a coach that they might know, you know, that's on the staff, you know, someone who they used to play with or, or whatever, right? And so, you know, speaking of your reference to Holly Hunter, you know, knocking people down and get that video, and I'm walking back and forth through where I'm sitting to where the Scouts are and bugging them, and they don't know anything. And so around this time, you know, it's about an hour now uh, since the announcement of the Sharks players in protocol. You know, we're hearing about a delay to buck to, to puck drop. And things are so chaotic. You know, we got an email from the Sharks saying that the 4 p.m. game was going to get delayed until 4.15. At the same time, Elliot Friedman is reporting that it's 4.30 p.m. So it ends up being 4.30 p.m. And so, Dan, a question to you uh, that meant that you had to fill in an extra half hour of your pregame show. And from what I understand, you and Scott Hannon just told stories on the air for that half hour.
0: Yeah, we flipped the microphone on and we talked some old times, but we also discussed similar situations. And that gets back to what I was talking about earlier about the Joe Thornton trade. Right. When he was acquired just before game time against the Dallas Stars that night uh, in Dallas, and I, I recalled it the same way that I always do. The fact is we were handed uh, the the official starting lineups and the sheet and everything else was normal. Yeah. The, the pregame skate that night went normally. Usually you can get an idea exactly what's going on by watching the warmups. Right. And of course we're on the air during warmups, but we, we do uh, out of the corner of our eye, take a look at what's going on just in case there are any changes. And in this case, uh, you know that wasn't gonna work, but back then in 2005, Everything seemed normal. Nothing was unusual. And then all of a sudden before the game, I I noted that Ron Wilson, the head coach at the time, had called the officials over to the bench. And he had held up in his hand. I could clearly see it from the broadcast booth. He was holding the lineup sheet, the official sheet that you have to hand in before the game. And you know, in case anybody listening doesn't know, the coach fills out the names and the numbers of the players on that sheet, the list of the 20 skaters that are eligible to play. And you have to make sure that, the, you know, the spelling of the name is right and all that sort of stuff. And it's happened before where somebody makes a mistake. You may remember uh, one time that the Sharks uh, made a mistake with with a uh, starting lineup card and it was noticed by the Calgary Flames. And the Sharks ended up, uh, A, getting a penalty for using an eligible player. It's a two-minute minor And B, that player, in this case, Mirko Mueller, who had taken two shifts in the game, had to go back to the dressing room, take his (laughs) gear off. And even though he played two shifts, he didn't get credit for a game play. So it's kind of an interesting scenario. You know, we we don't know if this will ever happen, but if Mirko Mueller ever plays in his 999th game, is it really his thousandth game, even (laughs) though he didn't get credit for the game? Well, anyway, um, here we were before this game and Ron had called the, the referees over and what I said was on the air was maybe they made a mistake in filling it out. They just want to make sure everything is okay because we had been handed the lineup that was expected to play. And I said, they just want to make sure it's right. Well, back a uh, step, a couple of hours, we were in the press room about five o'clock eating dinner that night and in walk two sharks players. And it doesn't usually happen this way, but every once in a while, you'll see some of the players, walk into the press room at about five o'clock. Sure. And in this case, it was Nico Dimitrakos and Jim Fahey. And these were guys we weren't expecting to be in the lineup that night. And they sat down and started eating some food. So if you're eating food at five 5.30 for a 7.30 game, there's no way you're expecting to play. <laughs> well, after this little incident, fast-forwarding again to the very start of the game, uh, they dropped the puck. And immediately the Sharks changed lines, immediately. And, you know, that does happen sometimes when you're matching lines or something like that. And the Sharks had lost something like nine games in a row, as I remember going into that game. So, didn't surprise me there. And then I'm calling the play by play and I'm looking down on the ice and I hear myself saying, Fahey passes the puck to Demi Tracos. <laughs> as that's coming out of my mouth, I'm saying to myself in my head, hey, wait a second. I saw those guys at five o'clock. What what, the, what the knickknack, patty whack, give a dog a bones going on around here? <laughs> So then uh, then uh, we looked at the bench, and the first thing we wanted to do was count the bench. How many players are there? So we count the bench and we realized that there's one skater short. Now that n- virtually never happens in the NHL. And you know, there were no reports of anything. It was radio silence coming from the locker room. and that particular moment, we said, "Well, who's missing?" Well, Marco Sturm was missing. Brad Stewart was missing. Wayne Primo was missing. And we said, folks, there's been a major transaction because there's no way we would have been already told if they had had a case of food poisoning or something mm-hmm. like that. We would have been informed. It was total radio silence down from the Sharks locker room. And the reason why was because the trade was being executed and they were in the, you know, in the process of doing their due diligence. They were filing the trade with the league. They were calling the players families that had been traded. You want to make sure that the family finds out, uh, not through the media, but they find out from the organization themselves. And, you know, little logistical details like that, that, uh, that they, you know, they were all taken care of. And they were pretty busy at that point because the game was going on. So um, I know it's hard for people, especially as we're listening to this on a podcast online to believe but back in 2005, the internet was kind of just getting bigger in terms of finding out news and information, and you know, the, you know Twitter wasn't what it is today or anything like that. So uh, we started surfing the, uh, the net uh, to see if we could find anything on a news site that would have it, nobody seemed to have it. Finally, I was able to discover it on Sportsnet that they had, they had rumored that Joe Thornton was traded to the Sharks. And of course, I can't report that as fact because I have no confirmation whatsoever but what i was able to do was say well this is what sportsnet is reporting we don't know we'll we'll get that confirmed but if it is true it's the biggest trade in the history of the franchise and so it was true by the end of the period we had all the information we need we had you know needed we had all the uh, the support that we needed and everything was prepared but it was during that time so now fast forward again to just this this uh, most recent game i was in the midst of, of, of getting uh, the spanish radio technically set up to help them out and and get that all straightened out because we were connecting a to uh, the secondary audio programming on the television broadcast and b we were streaming it out on the sharks app and on on uh, the sharks website so wanted to make sure all of that was working and i got it down and i had heard that there was a, a slight you know delay again to about four fifteen, but to me that's not that big a deal because we can extend a little bit in the pregame show but we weren't really ready to uh, necessarily to to go for it and have it delayed any more than that, and uh, then I'm I walk back up. We got everything set up uh, with Spanish radio, and it was about literally five minutes before I'm on the air at three thirty, and then I get to the booth and I see a note saying game's delayed till four thirty, so I have three minutes to get ready, and uh, we. Didn't have time to inform anybody that we were going to change the time. So the old uh, P.T. Barnum phrase or whoever wrote it, the show must go on. And we started our broadcast on time at 3.30. And I decided that, you know, just in terms of the format to keep it all together, don't want to bore anybody with that. But um, we held everything out till four o'clock for our regular commercial break. So that way we'd be on time. And that way we wouldn't be uh, playing too many spots before they were supposed to be. And you know, it actually went by really well. It kind of reminded me of another incident in sharks history that went way, way back to 1991, 92, as I remember, and I I can't remember the exact date. I think it's January 5th, 92, if I'm not mistaken, but it might've been the next year, but I'm pretty sure it was the first season. And we had a situation there where uh, the Zamboni driver at the Cow Palace, whose name was Ken Yackel Jr his father was in the u.s hockey hall of fame you can look him up uh kenny jr was from minnesota and had played the game as his dad did and came to uh, california and lived here and he was working at the cow palace and he was driving the zamboni well he used to leave the marsh pegs in place in the net and drive around them with the zamboni and everybody said don't you think you should probably not do that and he said oh no 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 i've been doing it this way for years and he said uh no problem he said i've never made the you know i've never had any errors like that and i use it to kind of gauge where i'm aiming the zamboni he was using it as a, a you know sort of a placeholder well wouldn't you know it montreal canadians come to town hockey night in canada english and french the whole thing and brand new expansion team and at that particular point unfortunately kenny made a wrong turn in the zamboni and that uh, the auger and the Zamboni ripped a huge gash in the ice because it hit the, the marsh peg. So we had a 55-minute delay that night, and the difference between that night and this particular night that we're talking about is I, I didn't have a color commentator that night, so I was all by myself for 55 minutes, oh, and wow. I still can't figure out how we filled that time, but we managed to do it. We did get a couple of people to come over at certain spots, but uh, that was... That was probably the biggest challenge that I'd ever had, you know, on the fly of something that happened while the game was going on. But those three incidents are all kind of tied together for me. And, you know, this one was just another one for the book.
2: And speaking of that uh, ice delay, uh, didn't you also have a, a couple decide to get married in the middle of ice during that delay? Um, yep. So maybe that well, helped no, it, the delay too? <laughs> it,
0: no, it wasn't during the delay. It was actually during oh. the first intermission. So, they, they you know, they waited for the first intermission. And I, I, I always, I wrote down the names of, of two people in my, in, my, in my notes there. But um, I'd like to find out if they're still married. That'd be an interesting <laughs> little news story. But um, it was interesting because at this point, and the fans were getting a little rowdy. And of course, the game had been going on at this point. But, uh, you know, the minister calls the, uh, the couple out and, and, and the fans are a little bit unruly. And so, as the minister is asking, you know, do you take so and so to be your lawful wedded wife? The fans start yelling, "Don't do it! It's terrible! <laughs> Don't get married!" And all this other sort of stuff. So it was, it was something we can all laugh about. I, I really hope that uh, I really hope that their marriage is successful and it's still still going on. But boy, that was another amazing memory from that same night. <laughs>
2: Well, a 55-minute delay uh, to the game is not an auspicious sign for your wedding, I guess. But <laughs> but going back to uh, the Joe Thornton story, I just wanted to uh, mention a story that I wrote on San Jose Hockey now on the anniversary, the 15th anniversary of the trade. Uh, I talked to uh, Nico Dimitrakos, and he recalled that he stuffed himself. He gorged himself that night in the media room. So he was playing on a very, very full stomach uh, that night against uh, Dallas, I believe right (laughs) that's right well you know hockey
0: players get a free meal they're going to eat exactly uh, nico's (laughs) greek so he liked to eat in addition to that because of his cultural background but yeah it, it really was it really was amazing the only story i've ever really heard close to that happened you know one of my former broadcast partners pete stemkowski told me about it they were in Boston at the Old Garden playing the Bruins when he was playing for the New York Rangers. And it was on that particular night that a guy who actually eventually played for the California Golden Seals, Jim Nielsen, who recently passed away, um, wasn't supposed to play. And it was the same situation. So he decided that what he would do, you know, he didn't go to the press room and have have a meal back then. But what he did was he stopped at the bar across the street from the from uh, Boston Garden and decided he'd have a cocktail. And he was in Even the middle better. of cocktail. Somebody came and found him and said, "Hey, uh, Dale Rolfe or whoever it was took a shot during warmups and he got injured. So we need you to come out and play." So he already had a little bit of alcohol. He uh, uh chief went over to to the dressing room, put his gear on, and actually, as, as I'm told, he played a pretty good, solid game. So, uh, you know, those are the things that happen when you're when you're called to do so.
2: Well, anyway, he told you he played a good, solid
0: game. No, now Stemmer <laughs> told me he played well. <laughs> he was well, loose, you know, he had a little
1: pregame <laughs> loosening going on. Exactly, so.
2: exactly. <laughs>
0: well, speaking of uh, counting
2: players, uh, so going back to the game on Saturday, so. I get to warm-ups now. It's 4 p.m., right? The game had been delayed to 4.30 p.m. And finally, we're going to see who shows up for warm-ups. That's how we're going to figure out as reporters who's in COVID protocol. We still don't have an email from the Sharks or any kind of official word. And so I figure out that Hataka is playing because he comes out for a solo lap with Ryan Merkley to start. Then I figure out that Reimer is starting because he leads the Sharks onto the ice for warm-ups. So this is a game of counting players, of where's walls? though, literally as players are coming out I'm shouting names at Cat uh, Petre, Curtis Pichelka Ross McEwen, you know, these are the reporters sitting in my section, we're shouting names at each other Cogliano, etc, etc and to boot, uh, like you mentioned Dan, it was Los Tiburones night and those are beautiful, beautiful warm-ups that they wear, I want to say that first those are beautiful warm-ups that they wear but from World City, read. we cannot read those numbers <laughs> at all <laughs> So Benino 13 looks like Pedersen 18 to me. And anyway, so we're shouting these names at each other. You know, Carlson, not out there. Adalyn Vlasic, Kator, Shime, Cogliano, Middleton, Nieto. But the numbers are so hard to read that we can't make out the lines. And if you're not aware, about five minutes into the warm-ups, every warm-ups, the team will break off into line rushes. And these are the lines that they're going to start the game with. Each line does about two quick spins down the ice, takes a shot at the goalie. These line rushes literally last two minutes maybe. And with these numbers being so hard to read, none of us could really get an accurate read on what the lines were. And so anyway, here's where you know I'm able to go to the scouts. This is where, where this helps you know, it's literally a scout's job uh, when they're up there. They're taking down lines during warm-ups, too. So I just asked one of them, hey, did you get it? <laughs> and I was the only reporter to do so. I think the only one to get the Sharks' lines up, but I had to confess, I cheated.
0: <laughs> well, it's okay. I mean, you, you know, you, you have to get your sources of information where you can. I mean, in my exactly. case, I, I relied on, on, on trying to read the numbers, as, as anybody does. But, right. in, you know, in my case, I you know, I also know these guys. I know what they look like. I know if they shoot left, you know, and I see them all the time. So I, I'm pretty good at recognizing them. But I, I, I had a couple question marks about it in the same way that you did, too. So we were just waiting to see. We, but we could figure out who wasn't there. To me, that was yeah. more important. You know, in, in the case, no, no Middleton, no Carlson, no Schimmick, no Vlasic. So obviously this was a, a defenseman-oriented pandemic on the Sharks' right. bench. And if you think about it, they all sit near each other. Right. So it would make some sense that perhaps that maybe that that's how it got spread. I mean, that's just total speculation, but at least it seems to make sense. And, you know, and then we weren't even sure. And remember uh, that there is such a thing as a false positive test. So we didn't know anything about that either, but we just knew that they weren't playing. And it's, you know, the old story. Don't speculate as to why they're not playing. Just be aware of the fact that they aren't playing. And that's the most important thing. So. Um, We ended up uh, taking that all down and getting it all figured out. And as it turned out, there were seven players that were in that COVID protocol that particular night. And uh, we saw a lot of very young Sharks players um, by NHL standards, but also by Sharks standards, um, be called upon to actually play. And, you know, as the game progressed, I, I kept thinking about Roy Sommer, who's the winningest coach in the history of the American Hockey League, who's seen everything in his career. And this has had to have been a new one for him, but I couldn't help but but feel really great for Roy because the guys that that were called upon played so well and really did the organization proud in, in terms of how well they were prepared for that opportunity. But I couldn't help but think that he had to have had a huge grin on his face as he was watching all of this.
2: Yeah. And you have to think about for Roy, I mean, these last couple of years, I mean, last year or last season, beginning of the season, uh, he's dealing with the Texas ice storm and now he's got this on on his plate.
0: Yeah, he's he's seen everything. No question. And, you know, out of all those years, you know, you're, you're not around the game for that long and not see some pretty unique things. You know, in my case, I remember uh, one time on a, on a Canadian Maritimes road trip when I was in the American Hockey League, we actually traded a guy. Uh, at about 5 o'clock just before a game. We are about to go out for warm-ups, and he had to skate across the ice and play for the other team. That's that's a unique one. Um, you know. And he actually <laughs> played in the game. And then he rode back in the bus all the way from the Maritimes back to Connecticut to New Haven uh, with us, even though he was no longer on, on the team anymore. So, you know, you see things like that happen occasionally.
1: Yeah, so, so you, Dan, you, you're pretty famous or, or known for gauging the shark tank you know you're you're relaying information to those listening to the sharks audio network so what was that environment like in the tank you have a a couple of or you have a, a stadium full of fans here that whether it be diehard fans or casual fans that are coming in and they're seeing a bunch of players that they may have never even seen before if they don't go to a barracuda game so could you gauge what the environment was like in the shark tank with essentially nobody expecting the Sharks to win the game I think even Tomas Hurdle said in the post game like oh I bet everyone expected Winnipeg to just get like a free two points here but you know the, the Sharks definitely made it a lot more difficult than I think the Jets were expecting so what was the environment like from your perspective up in the in the press box calling the game and seeing a lot of these young players flourish in the roles that were just thrust upon them
0: Well, I I think that as the game developed, I thought that the excitement level was rising because this was a big day for the Sharks organization and the fact that a lot of the organizational depth was really tested. And it hasn't always worked in a way that was positive in years, the last couple of years with the team not making the playoffs. But now, um, with so many very important players out and uh, so many of these guys on recall and in the lineup, uh, they did such a good job that, you know, I thought that the spirits of the fans were lifted. I thought that the spirits of the veteran players on the Sharks were lifted. And obviously, the you know, the kids playing in their first games or first games as Sharks, they were just excited and running on adrenaline because it was, you know, they didn't have time to think about it. So yeah. to me, it was just a a great atmosphere. And it was something that that we'll never forget.
2: And I have to admit, I was one of the many who uh, chalked up the points to uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, I, uh, I, <laughs> I I fessed up to it on, on, on Twitter, and I got many a response saying, like, yeah, from many Sharks or a couple of Sharks fans saying, yeah, actually, I put money on the Jets after I heard... <laughs> About the, the, big the, mistake. the big mistake, right? <laughs> yeah, big mistake. And, you know, from actually the first couple of minutes, uh, there was a chat uh, from around uh, where I was sitting uh, where the, the crowd was going, you know, let's go kuda. And I swear, I, I didn't. That wasn't me who started to chant. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, you know, p- 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 you can have a sarcastic response, I suppose, in, in one sense. But you notice those chants stopped pretty quickly when these guys started performing. And that, that's to true. Me was, Absolutely. That was pretty pretty gratifying
2: <laughs> so Dan I just wanted to close off with uh this question um another famous sharks delay you mentioned the ice delay and of course we have uh this uh this uh, delay because of covid protocol hopefully we don't have to experience uh, this one again in particular because of the health related reasons but another famous delay was when sharky got stuck in the rafters and so can you uh, t- tell us a little bit about that and how you kind of filled the time uh there
0: well, that one was an interesting one because it's one of the things that actually made the UPI and AP wire. And uh, SJ Sharkey in, in the office uh, of the Sharks mascot department, they still have a copy of that wire release that somebody saved for, uh, for the Sharks. So it's always interesting to go back and recall that, you know, there, there were a couple of things like that. We had one situation. It always seemed to involve Detroit for some reason. They uh, had the one game that was that was postponed because of flooding. Uh, before they finished the the Army Corps of Engineers finished the project right around SAP Center to to control all of that. You can go to Henry's High Life right around the corner. You can see the high water mark, which was pretty high up in those floods, and and it subsided by it got to the by the time it got to the arena. But just a block away, it was really bad. And and you know what ended up happening there was. Uh, you know they they postponed the game and it was eventually played later. But uh, this particular Sharkey event, uh, S.J. Sharky is caught, obviously rappelling down from from the ceiling, down to the ice, and he's I don't know forty feet up in the air, whatever. What year and, is this again, Dan? Uh, I'm this is the late '90s. I'm thinking '98, '99, somewhere. Right, Daryl was late, there. Yeah. yeah, late '90s. But the the one memory that I've got was that. They they decided that since they couldn't get him loose, he couldn't he couldn't extricate himself. That the uh, the gaffers were going to run out, and these are stagehands that are experienced people. One of them was a very strong lady, and they both ran out and grabbed the actual rope that he was repelling down on, and they pulled him back up. <laughs> and when they got him up, they couldn't fit Sharky's head through the opening where he came down because you had to get it just right. And of course, they wanted to take the head off and Sharkey refused because S.J. Sharkey realized, and this is what was said later, that there are kids in the stands that really relate to the character and they didn't want to disturb that. And so he was willing to sacrifice his life, basically, (laughs) and never, ever, ever take that character's head off in front of anybody. And so and they go through pains to do that. So I'll never forget two things that happened. Um, the first thing that they did was they some of the crew downstairs put out these very, very shallow mats underneath on the ice underneath SJ Sharkey. And I'm thinking that's not going to help anything. It, it's not <laughs> going to break the fall. He's going to hit ice and it's like about an inch inch thick mats. It's like doing sit ups. It's ridiculous. And when they were trying to pull him through and having trouble doing it, I remember looking at the Detroit bench and looking at Scotty Bowman. And I remember Scotty just turning away, like he couldn't even look at it. He couldn't watch it because he was, it just curdled his stomach to think of what might happen to SJ Sharkey. But fortunately, all of that got, uh, got taken care of. They finally figured out a way to negotiate his, him right through that, that opening. And I'll never forget that those, uh, those stagehands were out there with no protection for themselves. If they slipped up, they would have fallen uh, to a probable death. So, you know, you got to be amazed at at the courage of those people, but also their professionalism and their confidence in what they're able to do in order to rectify the situation. And that's that was pretty memorable. Absolutely.
1: Wow, that's that's an incredible story there. You know, me being a, a young child, you know, I didn't really recall any of that information, but it's crazy to think back and talk about just how at risk everybody was in that particular situation and uh, just kind of where how they took it and the professionalism. And like you said, especially with Sharky still staying in character and still keeping that, the Sharky, uh, like the headdress, I guess is what you call it. The helmet on to, uh, to keep the integrity of SJ Sharky intact. So that's a, that's a great story to hear. That's a method acting. (laughs) That
0: sure is. And, and I'll tell you what, as I said, it all turned out. Okay. But uh, for at least a few short minutes, we weren't sure.
1: Well, Dan, um, thank you again for for taking time to sit down and and talk Sharks hockey with us, both past, present, and, and, you know, just how the Baby Sharks essentially did this last weekend. And, you know, we're we're recording this on Wednesday, how they did yesterday in in handling the Sabres. So, uh, you know, great things for the Sharks organization and and a great testament to, like you said, Roy Sommer for putting the guys through that and essentially having them always ready to be in that situation to be called up and be a member of the big club in the NHL. Uh, but but again, thank you for joining us to talk Sharks hockey with us today. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, of course, I have to throw it out there. If you're ever in a pinch for a color commentator, you can always reach out to me, Dane. Like you, you got my email now. I gave you my, my phone number as well. So if uh, if anything happens in that sense, I'm fully vaccinated. I can come in a pinch. I'm only a couple a couple hours up north, so we'll be good <laughs> to go Only a couple there. hours.
0: <laughs> only a couple hours. That's all you need. Uh, hey, I know, I, know, I, know I know where you are. Has, are.
1: Hassel will fly you in, Nick. <laughs> I, I, I know a guy who knows a guy, you know. <laughs> Thanks again, Dan. Have a great rest of your night and enjoy your dinner.
0: Thanks a lot for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Okay, see you guys.
1: Big thank you to Dan for joining us tonight on the podcast to talk about his experience and his perspective on the Sharks' COVID outbreak this last Saturday. So, Shang, that was quite the talk we had with Dan. We went way back there with a couple of his callbacks.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and let's hope that this is the last time that we had to deal with this kind of delay because of COVID. Uh, Unfortunately, with this season, uh, who knows if this is the last time.
1: Um, But let's hope so. And, you know, um, Dan made a huge point, a very important point. A couple years ago, this would not have been able to have uh, been successfully uh, done, essentially, because the San Jose Barracuda are in San Jose. you got a team like Calgary, whose minor league team is 45 minutes south of me down there in the 209 of Stockton. Mm -hmm. Something like that happens to them. They are S-O-L. So. Well, the joke in the press box, actually,
2: uh, well, this is my joke. So <laughs> <laughs> I got to take ownership on this. Was that the Sharks would have been thrilled with Winnipeg coming and loaded Winnipeg coming in and all these uh, people on protocol? Uh, they would have been thrilled if the team was in Worcester, because then they could tell the NHL, "Well, we can't play." We. <laughs> Yeah. Our, our guys are 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 in are in Massachusetts, three thousand miles away. Um, so that was my joke, but of course the last laugh was on me. And the sharks the Sharkuda uh,
1: upset the Winnipeg Jets. And who else but Timo Meyer with the game winning goal in yep. overtime. So <laughs> another call back to Timo, absolutely dominating. But uh, again, thanks again to Dan for hopping on with us. And I think that's pretty much going to do it for this week's episode remind everybody out there to uh stay safe people are vaccinated you can still get covet that's i got obviously it. i'm yeah i'm fully vaccinated uh and, and i got it luckily just minor my, minor symptoms so just make sure you're, you're you're wearing your mask and make sure you're taking care of yourself you're taking care of those around you because that's what matters and uh stay safe and stay hydrated